You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Anyway, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you're allowing us to be a part of your service today. As we begin, uh, again, I just want to thank you for your partnership. I want to thank you for your pastors and what they mean to us, and um, one, just the opportunity to share the word, because I'm no longer in the pulpit each week. Um, I don't get to preach that often, and so I, I love these opportunities. And so you can only imagine a preacher that hadn't been in the pulpit for some time. They might have a really long sermon, right? They're used to it? Okay. Well, I'll try not to keep you so long today. But there's something else. I want to thank you for your continued trust and support of Christ-Centered Solutions. I, I want, as Brian said, to give you an update and how your partnership impacts lives of other Christians. First, you're impacting lives not just here in North Charleston, but we've been as far away this year as Northern Kentucky, right outside of Cincinnati. Um, We have churches and people that we see in Wilmington, North Charleston. There are people I see online in the western part of North Carolina. We are working on a partnership. Hopefully, we're meeting with a an associational director in the upstate where we will help um, do biblical counseling for the pastors that of, of that association, and so that might be a really big step. There's another pastor that's also a board member that works with me, Dr. Don Cashwell. Uh, he, he ministers and counsels people uh, generally just online, but he's also out of right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. And so the the ministry continues to grow, and it continues to touch lots of folks. And and I just want to give you some some numbers here real quick to let you know how your partnership is impacting other Christians. Last year, we had over 700 hours of biblical counseling. We also had 300 hours of chaplaincy work. There are two businesses Uh, here in the um, Charleston area that every Monday we come down. That's the first thing that I do. I go and I meet and counsel and pray with people at these two companies. Then I come here, Teresa and I do, and we see people in the afternoons. There was more than 70 hours of working just with pastors last year. 76 hours went to training other Christians, working with congregations um, to be better counselors themselves. Because each of us, each believer, should be able to take the Word of God and minister to a brother and sister in Christ. And that's one of our goals, is to help set up other counseling centers in churches that can help their pastors and staff minister to each other. And then just last year, uh, more than 70 people came through the doors of Christ-Centered Solutions. That's 70, more than 70 Christians and couples that you have been a part of in bringing healing and restoration to their lives. And I thank you for that. I applaud you for that. 
And so we are ministering to other Christians, to pastors. We have two new board members. Many of the issues that we deal with on a weekly basis are we do premarital counseling. We uh, just finished one up here a few weeks ago in this area. Um, that's, that's more than 10 hours just working with one couple. Uh, we deal with marriage issues. We get lots of those. We're getting lots of addiction, but it's not your typical addiction. Addictions to pornography that are ripping marriages apart. We're seeing more and more of those come through the doors now. We're dealing with people who are grieving and uh, have suffered some tremendous losses. Um, I have one person in North Carolina who within the span of a year lost their father and two sons. And the two sons died at separate times, both in motorcycle accidents. Can you imagine losing two of your children and your father. We're dealing with other various types of sufferings and trauma. And again, I just thank you for your partnership. I want to encourage you. We uh, had to change web providers. And so we have a brand new website up. It's been up for a, a month or so. It has lots of things on it. If you go to the resource tab uh, and go down, you'll see media there. You'll see other things that um, hopefully will help encourage you and build you. Um, we brought some things today, some of our new things. And the only reason we do this is to help cover cost. And so Teresa and I will be here, and we don't care what it is. If, if you see something you want just for any donation, doesn't matter what size it is, but there's bumper stickers and magnets and bags and all kinds of stuff. And so I hope you'll stop by and get some of those. Let me tell you one last thing about Christ Center Solutions. And this is one of our dreams, and we're starting to work on. And we call it the Shepherd's House. We hope to be able at some point in the next few years to purchase some land and a home that we can open up the doors for a 90-day program to help pastors and other ministers who are burned out, who have fallen, who are struggling in their ministries. Do you realize that more and more pastors are leaving the ministry every year? Did you realize that young men coming out of seminary that had ideas of pastoring churches are no longer in the ministry after five years? There's a, more than half of those leave the ministry? Would you believe that pastors that are in the pulpit, and there's a shortage of pastors, but those that are in the pulpit are those that have come into the ministry later in life, and so they're getting older and older and not younger and younger? We, we have a problem in the church in America. Churches are dying Pastors are struggling and, and they're trying to meet everyone's needs but their own. And so that's one of the reasons why the shepherd's house is so important. You're a part of that. And again, I thank you. I, matter of fact, we applaud you for that. So 
With that said, let's go to the scriptures. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. There'll be some other passages that I will read from this morning. (laughs) My wife says, take my jacket off. I don't feel right without my jacket on. I'm I'm twice as old as Brian. I'm an old man. I like my jacket. It, It took me years to get rid of the tie. Now, don't ask me to get rid of the jacket. I'll just wipe my forehead here, okay? Do I? I thought I was looking pretty good today. That's all right. Oh, I think our title's on the screen. I am so sorry, Lord. I am so sorry. Let me ask you, have you ever cried out those words? Has there been some point in your life where there has been a sin that has just broken you and you're crying out, I'm so sorry, Lord. I'd like to tell you that uh, I haven't done that too often in my lifetime, but I have more than I'd like to admit. I was thinking about, back about some times that I cried out how sorry I was, how convicted I was, how broken I was. Well, one of the first times, and, and you, some of you may know this, but when I was first called to the ministry, I, I graduated from Liberty University and I knew that I was supposed to be in the ministry, but I wanted to do my own thing. I, I wanted to open my own um, counseling center. I wanted to, um, to be a psychologist. That's what I had studied to do. And so Teresa and I, we had already been married. Our first child had, had come. He was just a few months old, and we moved back to North Carolina from Virginia. And I was struggling. Things seemed to be going well. It took a little while, and I got a job in my field, and I was traveling about an hour each day to Winston-Salem and back. And, and things looked like they were, were right, but they were wrong. I knew where God wanted me. He didn't want me in a psychology graduate class at Appalachian State. He wanted me in a seminary learning His Word better and to pastor. That I I didn't realize we would come full circle back here today to the counseling ministry, but, but I knew. But here's what happened. I was struggling. My wife was struggling. We were coming home one day from church, and, and I love to hear her tell it because you can hear that mountain twang when she looked at me and said, I ain't no preacher's wife. And so I thought, well, that's it. And what took place was 18 months of difficulty. I, I, sometimes I might, I've told people it was hell on earth. Teresa and I, we separated for 18 months. We were heading towards divorce. And I was miserable. But through a series of events and her dad dying and Hurricane Hugo and all these other things, it took me back home. It put me in a job that I didn't really want to do. But it allowed me to 
go to seminary and start seminary. I was living in rebellion for 18 months. And I was miserable. I can also think of another time that during not long after returning home, I had been in school and I was so frustrated because I wasn't getting a call to a church. I was preaching and doing different things. And on a Saturday morning, I was, I was angry. And I was talking to God, probably not as I should have been talking. And he kind of taught me better after that. But I got a phone call. And a church wanted us to come and for me to be their youth pastor, their associate pastor. All I can remember is on that Saturday morning, putting the phone down. That was before cell phones, by the way. I walked out of our house and I just kind of collapsed in the yard telling God how sorry I was. When, when we get to the part or to the place of total brokenness, it, it is... A, a terrible place to be and it's also a great place to be. Psalm 51. One of the best known psalms probably. One of the, if we want to say greatest psalms, I would say that. But a psalm of David and it's, it's born out of sin and brokenness. And you probably know the story in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 where David goes up on his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba and, and he is unfaithful to God. He is unfaithful to his wife. And he takes Bathsheba and he has this adulterous affair and then he has her husband Uriah who is so faithful to David and the kingdom, he has him killed. And then in, in chapter 12, we see Nathan come along. And Nathan is that, that prophet that God sends to bring this word to David. And he gives him this story, this allegory in a sense, about a, a man, a, a rich man who has everything that he needs and he has a visitor to come. You remember the story? And, and then he takes this one little ewe lamb, ewe lamb that is like part of the family of this other family, he takes it and rips it away and he kills it and presents it to his guest. And David, not realizing, condemns himself. He, he says, this is the judgment that that man deserves. And then Nathan, remember what he said? David, you are the man. You're the one. You think your sin was in secret. You can keep nothing secret from God. And now everyone will know. There are several themes and elements in Psalm 51 that are often drawn out. And, and we won't have time really. I'm, I'm not going to go for hours. But we could just on this one psalm. But some of those themes are prayer and sin, repentance, forgiveness, deliverance, restoration, joy. Not happiness, but joy. Listen to this. 
In 2 Samuel, this is when Nathan confronts him. Nathan said to, da to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you everything. And we know David is broken and we know the Lord's forgiveness comes because of this is what he says in verses 13 and 14 of 2 Samuel 12. I have sinned against the Lord. Lord, I am so sorry. I have sinned against You. I can imagine David crying that out. Then Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. He has cast it aside. He has forgiven you. You shall not die. You, you won't be like King Saul. Nevertheless, and here's something that as we go through this psalm this morning, I want you to understand that while God has forgiven David because of his broken and contrite heart, he still cannot escape the consequences of sin. He says, nevertheless, by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. I'm sure Pastor Brian and Pastor Walter have talked about the different psalms, the different books of the psalms. And Psalm 51 is in the second book and it's known as a lament psalm. Some say it's a complaint psalm, but it's a lament. It's calling out. And so as you've figured out, we're talking about some things that are probably uncomfortable today, but the one that's the most uncomfortable is sin. As followers of Christ, we still have to deal with the issue of sin. As long as we live in this flesh, we will struggle with sin. And each and every one of us here today have a pet sin. And you know what your pet sin is. And so does God. And so does Satan and his demonic forces. We must deal with sin, yours and mine. Again, I know the topic that we're focusing on from this psalm isn't the most enjoyable, but sin is a reality, again, of living in this flesh. So I ask you, don't check out on me just yet. Here's our first point this morning. Number one, a person who is truly contrite not only desires God's grace and mercy, but willingly accepts as His sovereign will how He restores such a one. Get that again. Notice, notice what we're saying. A person who is truly broken, who is truly contrite, who is truly sorry for their sin, desires God's grace and mercy. Remember what grace and mercy is from a, a biblical standpoint. Grace is what God gives to us that we do not deserve. And mercy is what God withholds from us that we do deserve. We do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve His mercy where He poured out His wrath on His Son for our behalf. But a person who truly understands their plight, 
who understands where they stand in this world when it comes to sin and wretchedness understands that they need God's grace and mercy. But it's also the person who is truly broken who accepts that God is sovereign and in His sovereign will, He restores us as He sees fit in His way of doing it. And we should just be glad that He seeks to restore us to a right relationship. Look at verses 1 and 2 here. David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your kindness, according to your faithfulness, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, from my sin, and cleanse me from my sin. I, the word mercy here is used twice, but it's, it's translated mercy, but it's two different Hebrew words, but they, they are connected. Both speak of God's grace and His mercy. We might say from a New Testament perspective, He's talking about compassion. Lord God, I am so sorry. Be compassionate with me. Do you understand what Compassion from a New Testament standpoint really is. It literally means this. To suffer together. To suffer together. Lord, have compassion on me. Lord, suffer with me. That's what we as Christians do or should be doing when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are hurting because of some sin of their own or sin of someone else, but they're hurting and, and we are to come alongside and to be compassionate, to suffer with them. I like what he says. He uses the word blot. Notice he, he talks about, he uses the word blot, wash, and cleanse or clean. And, and he uses it again in reverse order in the next uh, stanza, if you will, of this song. But to blot literally means stay. <laughs> it means to wipe out. It means to tramp upon. It means to agitate. How do you clean your garments? When you put them in the washing machine, remember how washing machines used to be? And they had that agitator in the middle? <laughs> or people used to take their clothes and they would beat them against rocks and agitate and get all the dirt out? That's what he's saying here. Lord, blot out, wipe out the, the thing that I have done. Erase it, Lord. It's like taking an eraser and putting the paper and, and taking that, that pencil mark out. Listen to this in verse 9. He says, and this is from the Net Bible. He says, hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilt. Wash, trample, washing the clothes again. Wash me inwardly, spiritually. 
and then cleanse. The idea here is to be ritually, ritually or ceremonially clean. And while David had been forgiven, the, the stain of his sin made him unfit for service. I want you to think about something. There have probably been times in your Christian walk where you haven't been in a good relationship with God. And if you've been in the church long enough, the chances are that you've had some job, some service in the church, and you knew that you weren't in a right place or you just kind of put a facade on and you tried to forget about it, and you'd come to church and you'd do your service, you'd do your ministry, but you just weren't happy, you just weren't joyful, things just weren't right. It could have been because of this sin, unconfessed sin. Sin that you weren't taking before the Lord. David needed God's cleansing in his life in order to once again to take part in genuine worship. Think about that for a moment. As a believer, if there's unconfessed sin in your life and my life, we cannot truly, fully worship God. When you have communion, I bet your pastors do this. Every good pastor I know does this. That when it, it comes time to have communion, oftentimes they'll take us to, to Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And, and we address the sin. If there is something unconfessed in your life, you better get it right now before you take from the, the bread and the cup. Get it right. Because if you're not in a right relationship, you don't need to be taking communion because you're not in fellowship with the holy and righteous God. How dare us come before Him with with the stain of sin and the stench of sin all over us. Now, from an eternal standpoint, if you're a believer, you are covered in Christ. You have been covered by His blood. My wife and I have been married 40 years last month. And, and during that time, we, we have always loved each other, but we haven't always liked each other or always been in good fellowship. But it's sweet when we are, isn't it? Because I'm a sweet guy, right? Yeah. But when we're not in fellowship, it doesn't break our marriage. It just means that things aren't as good as they could be. And so the, the whole process of blotting and washing and cleansing is or, in order to, to get the person back where they need to be. Look at number two here this morning. And if you don't get any other points, please get this one. Number two, don't believe the fallacy that we need to learn how to forgive ourselves when, sh when shame and guilt linger. I heard it last night from a young man. He, uh, we were at this birthday party and he gave me a call right before it started and I couldn't talk and I talked to him afterwards and 
we probably talked for about an hour. And he's a new believer. And, and I hear people say this all the time where they, they, they feel bad about things in their life. They don't like what they've said or what they've done or the way they feel or the way they think. And then some well-meaning Christian will say, you know God's forgiven you, right? You just need to forgive yourself. I think that's a lie. I think that's a, a wrong way of thinking. It's not biblical. That you just need to forgive yourself. Their issue isn't forgiving themselves. Their issue is either one of two things. Trust or unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin is easy. If you're feeling guilt and shame because of some sin that you have committed, then good. Get it right. But oftentimes, that's not what I'm dealing with when I hear people say, you just need to forgive yourself. It's trust. They do not fully trust God and His Word. And here's what I mean. Look at verse 3. Psalm 51, verse 3. For I know, David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Lord, I know, the word transgression means rebellion, I know my rebellion and my sin is always in front of my face. My sin is ever before me. One, one commentator wrote this. He says, as he wrote, his sin, David's sin, emerges, listen, as an accusing presence. My sins confront me all the day long. Get that. His sin emerges as an accusing presence. It's like having someone in front of your face saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're dirty, you're filthy, you're no good. You're not really a Christian. You're not really a believer. God would never love you. God would never take you back. You've done something so vile. You, you, you. Our sin is like that when we think that we need to forgive ourselves. It's always on our mind. It keeps coming back. I just can't seem to shake the thoughts and memories of what I have done. We become paralyzed by our past sins. So much so that we become, and, and you might think this is harsh, but we become utterly useless to God and His service. Why? Because I'm focused on me. That sin ever before me makes me focus on myself. We have a problem. And the problem is the way we think and the way we understand the Scriptures. If you're a believer and this is happening to you, then your thinking needs to change. It just needs to change. 
You could be set free of so many things sometimes if you would just get your thinking right. One of my favorite movies, I, I saw it just a week or so ago, Cool Hand Luke. I love that movie. My wife will say, how many times have you seen that movie? I don't know, can't count. But I love it when, when Luke is brought back and he's got two sets of chains on and he says this, the warden, what we have here is a failure to communicate. We have a failure to communicate. We have a failure in understanding. We have a failure in our communication. There should be no failure when it comes to this. I just need to forgive myself. No, you don't. If you want to turn with me, I'm just going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at something that the Apostle Paul wrote in relation to this. Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Notice, you were dead. Past tense. In which you once walked. Past tense. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all. Past tense. Once lived. In the passions of our flesh. This, this stuff. Carrying out the desires of the body. And the mind. The thoughts, the thinking. And you were by nature, past tense, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And here's two great words. You ready? But God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were, past tense, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The word in there in the Greek, you know what it means? It means in. It means to be permanently affixed, unmovable. And then he says this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here it is again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By faith, by grace you have been delivered through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Now I read all that to point this out to you. Why? Would you or I, as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, need to redo what God has already done? Are you, am I, greater than God? The answer is what, church? I'm, I'm not sure I heard you. The answer is what? No. Why would we need to redo something that God has already done when He is perfect in all His ways? He has forgiven us to the point of saving us then. Then why would we need to forgive ourselves when everything again He does is perfect? The Lord has forgiven you. How many sins has God forgiven you when you become a believer? 
past, present, future. Great. Then why in the world do you need to forgive yourself? Who do you need to take that to? Where, when, when you do something wrong, when you and I sin, where do we need to take it? To self or to God? You don't need to forgive yourself. You need to trust what God has said. That He has forgiven you of all your iniquities, of all your sin. And His Son has taken all the wrath that you and I deserved upon Himself. He says something else. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful and get this. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Get this. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not therefore thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one of us will receive commendation or praise from God. Get what he's saying. Paul says, I don't, why should I care how you judge me? I don't even judge myself. The only judge that matters is God. So why would I need to take my petitions to myself and forgive myself? I just need to take them to God. He's the one who is able. I'm not. You're not. Again, if your issue, if you're struggling with, I just need to forgive myself, then your issue is one of trust, not forgiveness. I encourage you, I, I, I just beseech you, church, to trust God and not yourself. Many of our problems and our issues will seem to fade away. Now, there are some other things that I will address at the end about guilt and shame, but that's from another point of view. Look at verses 3 through 6 again. My wife has given me the signal. That means I've got to hurry. 3 through 6, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil. Some people might say, what? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? Well, again, notice what he says. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I know who I am. The word transgression again. The word transgression again means I know my crime. I know my crime. I know what I've done wrong. My crime, again, is primarily used in the sense of rebelling against God. I know my failure. Every time I fail, I may hurt other people, but it's the one who is holy and righteous that I'm rebelling against. 
And it's the same for you. Again, there, there is no justification for David's adultery and murder. And yes, he hurt other people. But when we consider the most heinous sin, his most heinous sin, it was rebellion against God. When, when I compare those who have hurt me in my life and how I have hurt God, there is no comparison. Because get, get again what David said. He knows. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born in sin. It is my nature. And it is God who chooses to save me or not. He is sovereign in all his ways. He is the one who is ultimately offended And that's what we need to keep in mind. I have this bent from the very moment of conception that I am bent toward sin. I know some people will use that as a justification for their sexual proclivities and other sins in their life. They will say, I was just born this way. I, I was born a homosexual. I was born a lesbian. I was born a transgender. I was born whatever way. Can I tell you, church? That's a lie, too. Yes, you might be born with a tendency, a bent, like all of us, to sin. But I told you a moment ago, every one of us have a pet sin. And that's just their pet sin. It's not an excuse to live any way you want to in rebellion against God. And no matter how many ways you clothe it, you cover it and put lipstick on it, it's still ugly. It's still sin. So what? I was born with a sin nature too. It does not give me the right to live as I choose. I am not my own God. We have no excuse Here's our last point, number three. As believers, the pain we experience due to sin is good if it drives us back to a right relationship with God. It's good. If your sin causes you pain, that's good. If your sin causes you no discomfort whatsoever, you are blind. And most likely lost. Or at least you're callous. Notice what he says in verse 7 and following. David says, Purge, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Notice he's not saying, Lord, let me take a bath and I can cleanse myself. He says, you purge me, you purify me, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let you do that, Lord. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And that's an important part. Hide your face from my sins and blot out 
all my iniquities. Only you can do that, Lord. Only you can erase these things. And then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He, no doubt he is thinking of Saul and what happened to him. And then in verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. When he mentions the broken bone, it's, it's used several times throughout the Psalms. And what it literally means is that I suffer. I am in great anguish. I am in great pain spiritually and emotionally. He's not, he's not talking physically, but he's talking spiritually and emotionally. I suffer. I am in anguish, Lord, inwardly. And the only fix to that is you. Not me, but you. Here's what one person said about the bones. Bones, again, denotes the whole physical structure of the person. To say that one's bones are in agony is to say emphatically that his body is racked with pain. Folks, it's only when we get to that point when there is so much pain inwardly that we can truly cry out with a contrite heart, I am so sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. I beg your forgiveness. Please restore me. There is no doubt that David is hurting. Listen, as I close, I want you to hear this. There is no joy in your life without a renewed heart, a renewed thinking, and a right relationship with God. Let me say that again. Because joy is greater than happiness. Happiness is based upon circumstances. Joy is based upon a relationship with Him. But there is no joy without a renewed heart, renewed thinking, and being in a right relationship with God. So, church, if you're struggling with the sorrow of sin, if you're struggling with guilt and shame, your only recourse is to surrender to God and trust Him by taking Him at His Word. I mean, what else is there in the Christian life that is 100% sure? This is, do, do you recognize that this is more than words on pages? This is the written testimony of God. The written testimony of God. And if you can't trust God, then you are hopeless. He's the only one that can help. I did mention guilt and shame. If you have suffered trauma, if you've been abused, oftentimes those who have been abused will take guilt and shame upon themselves thinking that they did something wrong, something that there must be a reason why this other person hurt me. And that's a wrong thinking too. Don't take someone else's guilt and shame upon yourself. Let them have it. Let's pray together. 
Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we love you today and we thank you for loving us. And we pray, Lord, that your will would be done in our lives. And I pray for those who are hurting today, who are in need of a touch from you. I pray, Lord, that they not believe the lie that they need to forgive themselves, but they would trust fully upon you and your forgiveness. Again, Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.